Hello, and welcome. Mark was walking around the island this morning and found another castaway washed up on the beach. By sheer coincidence, it turns out to be Mr Tom Entwistle, property investment guru and founder of the incredibly popular website landlordzone.co.uk. Anyway, as payment for his safe return to the mainland, Tom has to endure a grilling from Mark, so I hope that you enjoy his interview. In this, episode 12 of The Desert Island Investor. This episode of the podcast is generously hosted by Progressive Equity Research. Visit their website at progressive-research.com. When people hear that I'm an investor, uh, more often than not, they assume this is in property rental as opposed to equities. Uh, In my experience, investors often broadly fall into either of the two camps with little or no overlap. So we're most fortunate that in this episode, a guest podcastaway has washed ashore. Uh, It's a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, Tom Entwistle. Now, Tom has a wealth of experience in investing in both equities and rental property. So we are here in the rudimentary beach hut that Paul and I have constructed out of bamboo and bits of driftwood. And this is relevant because the theme of this episode is around property, or more precisely, rental property. Welcome to Investor Island, Tom. Thank you, Mark. Nice to be here. Tom, you have an extensive CV, but can you just give us a quick thumbnail of your background? Okay. Um, well, I had 26 years in education, and as a sideline, I dabbled in property, if you like, but it's a family tradition because my grandfather and my parents both um, managed rental properties And all my life, I've been sort of involved slightly. So uh, that was something I wanted to go into. And I uh, purchased, developed, uh, rented out and managed rental properties for around about 40 40 odd years. Um, So um, when I took early retirement from my main career in education, I started a website for landlords and I called it Landlord Zone. So I founded the website Landlord Zone in 1999, uh, which eventually became the leading website for landlords in the country uh, in terms of traffic, in terms of subscribers, etc. We eventually developed the website to a state and with, with some staff I had um, to a state where I decided in the end to take retirement again and I sold the website as a going concern to a company called Hamilton Fraser who are insurance specialists based, based down in London Uh, They specialize in rental property insurance, and I'm still working with Hamilton Fraser uh, 
developing content and publishing content on the Landlord's Zone website. Thanks for that, Tom. So you mentioned about subscribers. How many subscribers has Landlord's Zone got? It's in the region of 100,000 at the moment. Um, so it is a substantial number of subscribers. Yeah, that's an 100,000, that's an impressive number, Tom. And, the, you know, the Desert Island investors got some catching up to do. But you did get a little bit of a head start on us. So we'll, we'll be snapping at your heels shortly. Um, so starting off, you know, kicking off this conversation, you know, why do you think that some people see equities as overly risky and some see, you know, the safety of bricks and mortar? Well, I think everybody's familiar with bricks and mortar. We all live in a house, most of us anyway. Uh, we're familiar with houses. We're familiar with property. It's got that safety feel um, about it. You can always go and look at it if you're renting it out. It's nice. It gives you a nice feeling to, to, to drive past a house that you're renting out and think, well, I own that. And uh, if you can build up a portfolio of houses, so much the better. Um, the income... Uh, is good from rental properties. Yeah, but uh, some people see the the stock market as being overly risky. As a, on the the reverse side of that, Tom, don't they? Yeah, I think most people that I speak to, if you mention the stock market, some they've got a story about someone that's um, they know or heard of that's lost the shirt on the stock market. They've invested in some risky company somewhere, and um, it's gone gone belly up. So um, people get this image about the stock market, and that's pretty well not the case if you go about investing in the right way. Yeah. Right. Well, in my experience, you know, from my personal acquaintances, many people have entered the rental market um, due to the, the miserly returns on bank deposits, until recently anyway. You know, that's been the case for many years. Now, Rather than looking to become, you know, mega rich, you know, they simply sought a modest return and want, didn't want to see their savings eroded, Tom. Would you agree with that? I would, yes. Uh, most people have gone into rental property fairly recently anyway, or certainly over the last 20 years, um, because there, was, there were very poor returns in the bank. Um, asset prices have been high. Um, yields, income from investments has been low and go to the bank and it's been virtually zero in the last few years. So where do people put their money? Um, people seek uh, safety as well as income and capital growth. So uh, property satisfied both of those aims and people... Um, did invest money um, fairly, fairly substantially in property. That's why the buy-to-let market grew so quickly and so much. Mm. I think we were chatting before, Tom, weren't we? And we mentioned about, you know, only when we just mentioned about people being frightened by equities, but there were some pension scandals. You know, go back to Mr. Robert Maxwell, wasn't there? And Yeah, go back 12, 14 years, we had these pension scandals that were going at the time that did put people off putting money into pensions. Mm. And people saw 
buy to let as a good pension for their future. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about property and property rent, rental, it's not just residential, is it? You know, there's also commercial and you've had experience of both. So just wondering if you could share some thoughts on the differences between the two. Yeah, there's quite a difference between rent, residential and commercial property as far as being a landlord concerned. Um, with residential, you tend to get shorter term lets so there is a more rapid turnover of tenants than commercial. Uh, there's more work involved, consequently, but there are safe, there, they are a, safety, a, a more safe investment because you know, and especially at the moment with the demand for rentals, you know that you can always get tenants in the property fairly rapidly. With commercial, it's a different couple of fish altogether uh, because uh, a, a commercial tenant um, tends to stay a long period of time. You, you tend to need more money to invest when you're investing in commercial because they tend to be bigger chunks of property. And with tenants staying longer, uh, you get basically – uh, an easier management phase, if you like, during the tenancy. And with a, 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 full, insuring and re, uh, a full insuring and repairing lease, you basically, if, it, if it's structured correctly, you have little work to do as a landlord. Uh, it's let it and forget it to some extent, provided you get a good tenant in there. Uh, and the best tenants, of course, are blue chip companies, companies that you know are rock solid, uh, that you know that the rent's going to be there every month or three months, as it tends to be in commercial. Uh, and it is low risk. But over recent years, commercial has become, it has become more risky as the rent, as the high street retail problems have come along, and shops, if you're letting shops, as I did, or offices, um, you get vacancies, and then they become a problem because they're a liability. A commercial property is a liability when it's vacant. Yeah. I believe the, after, is it three months, the business rates passes to the landlords, does it, Tom? That's right. Uh, usually most commercial properties, once it becomes vacant, you've got three months um, period where you don't pay any business rates, but then the whole business rates fall on the landlord. You've then got the insurance to pay because the tenant's no longer paying it. And Insurance rates go up when the property is vacant. You've also got uh, security worries because the, a vacant property is more likely to be broken into, squatters, etc. So uh, you've got the worry of that. Plus, what I find, the utility, utility companies are then constantly sending you the bills instead of the tenant for standing charges. So there's quite a bit of administration work involved 
uh, when a, a unit comes empty. And you, if you get one or two empty or three, then that multiplies the work involved. So, um, yeah, uh, it, it is more risky, but it also potentially more lucrative. With a commercial, just to add, with a commercial, it tend, they tend to have a higher income uh, but lower capital growth, whereas residential is the opposite way around. You get a slightly lower income but potentially more capital growth. Right. Well, there's a lot to think of between the two, isn't there? There's. I, I did. I did like that. Was it? Let it and forget it. Yes, that's what I used to like. I mean, I had one or two that uh, lasted twenty years or more. Or so yeah. Terrific. So you know, I'm I'm just playing devil's advocate here, Tom, because I've never been a landlord and I've never been a tenant. You know, so please, you know, forgive this question. But you know, why do you think landlords? And the very word itself have connotations of you know being grasping, heartless, and evil. What would you say about that? I think that's historical, isn't it? Um, the the public, the general media, have the image of the old-fashioned, probably aristor- aristocratic landlord or absentee landlord, as they were called, uh, who would basically screw every tenant for the maximum rent they could get. They were quite ruthless if the rent wasn't paid. Uh, in the older days, uh, there, was, there weren't the safety, um, safety nets available for tenants with the housing acts that protect tenants to some extent. So landlords got a really bad name and that image still applies today, unfortunately. Mm. that a lot of the public do think landlords are grasping uh, money chases, if you like. It's not the case because with the growth of buy-to-let, far more uh, middle-income um, middle income people started to invest in property and uh, for the pensions, basically. So... Lots more ordinary, uh, if you like, middle-class people now own rental properties of one sort or another. Yeah, I don't think he, he did the, the industry any, any help. Did he? Was it Peter Rackman back in the 50s and 60s? He was a big name in, in property, wasn't he? That was the, 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 the scandals with the Rack, Rackman and so on uh, were the, the really dregs weren't they it was the bottom uh, uh, as far as image goes of landlords who threw the widow and orphans out on the street and uh, basically to get around the laws of protection that were there at the time the rent acts which were really um, they were really a security of tenure for life uh, uh, then so uh, Rackman took advantage of, of the strong-arm tactics, if you like, throwing tenants out. Well, we don't want any return to that. So should there be a better word than, than landlord? You know, for, you know, a lot of, lot of people who are a landlord, they, they own just a single property. You know, that's, that suffix lord sounds very grand and powerful. You know, we think of a warlord or, or an overlord. Is there another term that could be used instead of landlord, Tom? That's something that... I'll, 
has been tried quite a lot. Uh, people uh, have tried to get away from the term landlord zone with its connotations, but is it very difficult to find another word that actually replaces it uh, without using a phrase? And that becomes very cumbersome. So, yes, you can get rid of the word tenant by calling them renters, but landlords... Uh, there's the term rentier, which means uh, basically, again, a money-grabbing <laughs> landlord. <laughs> that wouldn't be suitable. No. But as far as uh, our business goes, landlord zone, we wouldn't want to replace the word landlord. No, I'm, I, I can understand that. I can understand that. So, you know, lots of people are landlords by default. Uh, you know, they're, you know, they're not managing an estate or, or, and, you know, they've not in, intentionally entered the property market. You know, some people are working away from, you know, working from home on a contract or they're traveling, they've inherited a property and some people rent to, to friends and family. Um, people, you know, some people are sometimes renting a property they can't sell. You know, what's your most typical landlord, Tom? Quite a lot of landlords do get into property for those exact reasons. Um, it's a, a big proportion of them. Uh, so once they, say, inherit a property and let it and they see the potential, once the rent starts to come in and they see the potential earnings uh, and the potential, property, uh, the potential uh, capital growth in the value of the property over time, uh, they realise that uh, uh, it's quite a lucrative occupation. And if they, they can then start to build up more properties and build up uh, a bit a portfolio of properties, people can eventually um, do this as a full-time job. They can, they can, you know, leave their day job and purely manage their own portfolio of properties. And that's what's happened in many cases. Yeah. Now, your legislation is increasingly prohibitive against you know, landlords, as you know, uh, and it's gravitating, the power is gravitating more towards tenants. Is this making people consider holiday lets, you know, commercial and across to where I operate equities? It, there does seem to be a trend at the moment to, for laws to be brought in that are more tenant friendly rather than landlord friendly. And the government at the moment appears to be going the british the english government seems to be going the way of the scottish and the welsh governments that led the way in this uh, and now with the renters reform bill that's going through parliament there are there's a trend uh, to strengthen tenants rights more than so than they've had in the past Doing away with Section 21, which is a cause celebre of the charities such as Shelter. Um, so that's the trend. And uh, this is, to some extent, putting some landlords off uh, and making them think about leaving the sector. The result of that, of course, is that we're getting a shortage of rental properties. So it's making it more difficult for tenants to find suitable accommodation at a reasonable price. Yeah, it's that, that economic supply and demand, isn't it, Tom? It is. 
Yeah, one now one particular contact, you know, told me that you know he rents out uh, his father's home, you know, after his, you know his father passed away, uh, but he he needs a license, and it appears that he receives little back in return for having a license. Is this in effect just another tax, Tom? This is this is a, an argument that many landlords would argue that um, this is basically a tax on being a landlord. The idea of licensing is to bring in more control um, in what is known as selective licensing. So areas that are deprived uh, and need more management, uh, the idea is the council takes in money from licensing and then spends money on more control, more inspections, etc. Unfortunately, councils being strapped for cash as they are, this doesn't tend to happen quite as it should. This, this is the feeling among landlords anyway. So the feeling is they're just paying out licence fees every year uh, for nothing. Right. Well, you know, we use that phrase, we've heard that phrase, you know, chucking tenants out on the street. But would you suggest that landlords, really, they just want a reliable long-term tenant, Tom? Of course, landlords, good landlords, want to te- keep tenants in the property as long as possible. So long as they're paying rent and they're looking after the property, that's all you care about as a landlord, uh, and you want them in there permanently, if you like. Uh, every time you get a change in tenancy, there's a lot of work involved. If you're managing the thing yourself as a landlord especially, uh, you've got to go in that property, probably do some decorating, um, refurbishing furniture, whatever, fittings, kitchens. Bring it back up to standard to relet. So there's work involved there. Then the actual reletting means marketing the property. Whether you use an agent to do that just as a, a letting or you do it yourself, marketing the property, doing all the necessary paperwork, inventories. There's a lot of work involved to let a property properly. So you do not want to lose tenants that are paying rent and looking after the property. So this this idea that um, is put forward by the media and some of the housing charities that landlords are constantly chucking people out for no reason is just a myth, in my view. Mm. Now, you know, one problem I've seen with buy to let, uh, as it's you know we've touched on that, you know, it's in, it appears increasingly difficult to evict problem tenants, you know, either on behaviour or non-payment of rent. So you know, you know, the, the landlord, uh, if it's buy to let uh, and he hasn't got the rental income coming in, you know, but the banks could still be, you know breathing down his neck and, and not as lenient, his or her neck. So um, that could be problematic, Tom. It certainly is. Um, this is one thing that worries landlords a lot. And Section 21 has been a good system. If you have a bad tenant, you know with using Section 21, which is a paper-based system, no need to go into court, you know for sure that you're going to get repossession of that property within six to nine months at the the most at the outside. 
what is proposed through the Renters Reform Bill is that there is no longer Section 21. You will need to go into court on each occasion if you've got a bad tenant or antisocial behaviour, non-payment of rent, you'll need to go into court and convince a judge that you, the tenant needs to, to be evicted. And that is not an easy process. Not all judges will go along with that. They might say, let's let's give them another chance. Let's let's leave them another six months, see if they can catch up with the rent payments and do this, let's do that. It can go on for months and years before you actually get a bad tenant out of the property. And in the meantime, you've got a real headache on your hands. So Yeah. Yeah. I can see why I don't go into it for being a landlord. But um It's I must say Add to that, 95% of the tenants, that's my figure, one in 20 uh, can turn out to be bad ones, but 95% of them turn out really good tenants who look after the property and pay the rent on time. It's just that one tenant you get every now and again, which causes you sleepless nights, and it really does when you get a bad tenant. Right, so all these moving parts, you know, um, there's a there are occasions where people turn to a letting agent. You know, if I I don't, I don't really fancy any calls at midnight, uh, and if I'm not particularly handy with fixing a doorbell or fitting a ball cock, or if I live some distance away from the property, or as in my case, I'm spending two months two months this winter in Mauritius, uh, it might be a good idea to subcontract this workload. So you know, this does come with a at a cost and a drain on the returns. Um, just any thoughts, Tom, on letting agents and how much of the market do they manage? Well, I've always been a hands-on landlord. I've always let my own property and manage manage my tenants. Uh, I've got some do-it-yourself skills as well. I'm quite handy with when I've been refurbished property for many years. So to me, that's not that hasn't been a problem. And all my properties have been near to home. With um, 50% or so of landlords use agents and no problem. Uh, you get a good agent, they will look after the property, they will let the property initially, uh, they will manage it well. They know all the latest rules and regulations because they're professionals and sometimes they will manage it better than the odd amateur landlord so using an agent is fine the only downside to it is you you lose usually around 15 percent of your income because that's the fee that's charged for full management of, of your property okay tom so what are the levels of uh, rental property versus historical please well, the, the rental market, uh, residential I'm talking about now, in the UK has changed dramatically over the last century. If you go back to the beginning of the last century, roughly 90% of all property was rented out, probably owned by big landlord owners, the aristocracy, etc. Today, well, before we go to today, in the late 70s, early 80s, the percentage of rentals in the market 
was around about 6 to 7%. The market had suffered because of the um, overarching security of tenure that residential tenants had. Most of the landlords had abandoned renting uh, and they, they just didn't see any future in it. And that is until the introduction of the short shortle tenancy. Uh, I think it was 1979-80 when the assured shortle tenancy came in. And from that point through the 90s, the, two, the 2000s, the rental market has grown dramatically to the point where today we've got 20% of the house households in this country are rented. Uh, in recent years, the nature of the rental market has changed quite a bit because in the early days when I started, it was mainly singles, couples and professionals, where today more and more families are renting uh, as the um, as the council housing sector, the social housing sector has diminished, more and more families have moved over to the private rented sector. So you've got um, a big proportion of the rentals now, families. Right. That really is leading to the need, if you like, or the argument for greater security of tenure mm. because you get a family in a house with the kids at school, the local school, they don't want to be moving too often. But for many landlords, that suits them down to the ground because they want tenants to stay as long as possible. And, you know, we've just been talking about the UK, you know, for a, as, a, as a, a comparison. How does this compare with the continental Europe? In Europe... Uh, it's always been the case that there are more rentals uh, than privately owned properties. If you take Germany as, a, uh, as an example, probably one of the most rented uh, countries, uh, around 50% of the houses in Germany are rented. And young people and older people accept that they might rent for the rest of their lives. They don't particularly want to own a property. Right. And they do have quite strong security of tenure as well. Okay. Now, you know, from a government standpoint, do they have a target or a preference for the level of property, you know, ownership versus rental? Well, it depends which government you look at. Uh, if, it, if it's a conservative government, they would prefer... Uh, people to own their properties. The argument being that people are more stable in their own properties, they have financial commitments, and crucially to them, they vote conservative, <laughs> or more do. Uh, so the conservative government would like to encourage more rentals, but the way it's gone, because of assets prices being so high, Young people, your first-time buyers, are finding it difficult to get onto the housing ladder. So they're renting for longer. People are renting into middle middle age or even beyond mm. these days. Uh, so, yes, uh, government would, th this government would prefer 
ownership, but circumstances have led to more people renting. Yeah. And that suits landlords, of course, because of the demand for rental property. Mm. So uh, as an alternative to the private sector, which receives you know criticism from time to time, you know, there's a, a public sector offering, you know, that's the council houses. You know, how do these compare, Tom? You know, is it a much better offering if you've got a, a council house? Well, yes, the council houses uh, and uh, housing associations in the social housing sector are quite a substantial sector, slightly less than the private rented sector now, uh, probably about 17% of the whole market. Uh, Yes, uh, professionally managed property is supposedly better, but in practice, funnily enough, there are more complaints from tenants within the social housing sector than there are in the private sector, and that's been the case for many years. Uh, and they're not without their problems. Uh, the case of the young boy that died through condensation and mould was in a social housing property. So uh, it's not necessarily better than private housing. Yeah. Right. Well, um, you know, we mentioned equities and we mentioned uh, property rental, but you can get into property rental through equities, can't you? You know, I think of there's certain companies called Watkin Jones and Granger and, and one or two others. So that's that's if you wanted to play it, Tom, you didn't know yeah, necessarily have people, to own it directly. People advocate that you could you can own you can get yourself into the property market through equities, shares in companies like Granger, which is one of the biggest owners of rent, uh, residential property in the country, uh, run as a PLC, uh, Watkins Jones, and the student housing sector, companies like Unite, who own uh, substantial amounts of student housing in the big cities throughout the country. Yes, that's another way of getting into property without actually having to go out and change light bulbs or whatever fuses, goodness knows what. Yeah. And the beauty of equities, of course, you can sell instantly if you want to. Yeah, yeah. Rather than having to market your property. Okay. So, you know, as we're bringing this to this section to a little bit of a conclusion, we've talked about the hostile environment for landlords. Do you think this will deter many and do you think people are more likely to consider equities? I have my doubts whether the average or the typical landlord would go into equities in a big way. I think typical small-scale landlord thinks safety and they see um, bricks and mortar as being a sound investment. Uh, I think... Now that interest rates are becoming more attractive, you can get something like 6.2% in a national um, national savings account, then going into savings uh, from property would be more a more attractive option to the average landlord. But there are opportunities in equities as well. 
Well, I think this is a massive subject, Tom, uh, and there's always one further question to ask, but uh, I think we'll, 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 we'll tie that up there. But I've asked you, you know, you're coming to the island and we're prepared to let you share what we've got here, Tom, but in, uh, in as a kind of a, a repayment for that, we asked you to, to talk about one of the stocks in your portfolio, and it is related to property. It's a company called Harworth Group, uh, which has got the ticker HWG. And that's got a, an interesting story to it and how you got involved in it. Can you just tell us a, a little bit about them, Tom? Yes, um, I've been invested in Harworth for something like 15 years. Um, I originally got into it through a company called UK Coal. And at the time I first invested in this company, um, all the discussions was around peak oil. That meant that oil was basically running out. Everyone was panicking that we wouldn't have enough oil in the future for our needs. This was before anyone really thought about um, the environmental aspects of oil. Uh, so people were thinking, if oil's going to run out, what's going to be a good alternative? And Coal seemed, at the time, a good alternative. There was talk of cleaning or, uh, coal so that it would burn efficiently. And um, Warren Buffett started to invest in coal at the time. So I thought, this is going to be a good investment for the future. I can't see any alternative for oil except coal. So I invested in the company, and what happened? Shale oil came along. Uh, oil, coal, and gas from America, and basically it closed down all the fire station, all the power stations using coal, and they all moved on to gas. So the pit, the pits, the pits that were owned by UK coal degenerated into nothing, basically. They had the problems. Uh, they split the company into two. So they split off the mining section from the land-owning section, which meant they owned, at the time, around 30,000 acres of open-cast mining pits. And there, the property side... Their aim, their strategy, was to clean up these open-cast mining sites and develop them for commercial residential property. And that is exactly what the company's done since then. It's, it has done quite well. And uh, as it's developed its pits uh, into um, commercial and residential properties, uh, it, it, it's really doing quite well. So it's a company with a market capitalization of around £350 million. Its net asset value is around £602 million. Uh, it has long-term assets of £435 million. That includes the land in the north of England and in the Midlands. Uh, a sh share price currently is around 106, 
which is quite depressed because of the uh, difficult environment with commercial property at the moment. But there is a target price of 170p currently. That would be a 60% increase. Um, the forecast dividend yield is around 1.3%, which is quite low. Uh, but it's the dividend has been paid for eight years on, on consecutively. And this year it's been increased again uh, with a P-E ratio of around 12. Uh, it's reasonably well valued as, as companies go. Uh, and their earnings forecast is around 30% for the year. So all in all, the company, uh, in my view, uh, it's a commercial property company, really, with a dividend uh, maintained. It's got a strong balance sheet, good long-term case for investment, and it's tipped as a buy by the Investors Chronicles. So. Oh, right. The IC, as, as much as that. So, I mean, it's interesting that actually, something we didn't talk about, they're involved in build-to-rent, aren't they, Tom, as well, this, this company? They are. One, one aspect they're going into more recently is single-family homes for build-to-rent, the government scheme. And they're using some of their land for build-to-rent, a substantial amount, and that's going to grow. They do residential partnerships with some of the main house builders. So they will enter into partnerships with the main house builders. And they also develop their commercial properties on these sites. Some of them they retain uh, as re rented out commercial units. Uh, they will usually develop a unit once they get a tenant. So there's no risk there. And their expertise is about clearing the site, getting the planning permission, and doing the development. It's a good long-term investment in my view. Yeah, I mean, they talk about, they talk, they look on a, like a 10 to 15-year cycle. So it is very much a long-term mindset and approach, this, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned there, just going to talk, you know, the build to rent, you know, so we talk about rental properties. And it's just a case of, you know, you know, buying houses off house owners, then renting them out. These are specifically built to rent out, aren't they? They are. And in the current environment, with the demand for rental properties, they can't really go wrong. Yeah. And it's very much a northern business, this, isn't it? You know, they're based in Rotherham. North, and they're, they're very much in northern the... Northern Midlands, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, I, it, I suppose it's a good news story, isn't it? In that, you know, these were some scars on the landscape and some depressed communities now and um you know they're turning into residential commercial and uh, i i was reading that they've if you remember orgreave which was uh, famous for the battle of orgreave you know the uh, the mining strike uh they've just built developed you know 3038 houses there over 310 acres and they've they've got a marriott hotel there tom that's amazing isn't it yeah yeah uh, another, uh, you mentioned that the size of the company. One thing that did surprise me, you know, given their, their market cap of, you know, 350 million and the turnover that they've got, they've only got 118 employees. And that's positive. That's positively flabby because back in 2018, they just had 57, I believe. So, uh, well, that's the nature of a property business, really. You, you know, they, 
managing a certain number of assets doesn't need that many people. I think a lot of their people are involved in the planning permission side and the expertise that's needed there. Well, Tom, you know, thanks very much for that. That's an interesting one that you got in this originally uh, for it to be as a, a, a competition for oil, oil, and now it's a, it's a property business. Probably from from uh, an investment point of view, I, I should should probably have sold the investment early on when it started going down, but I hung on, and it just shows companies can turn around given time. Yeah, yeah. Tom, I'd just like to say thanks very much for your time, for telling us, talking to us about you know the rental market and sharing us with Harworth. And uh, all I can say is that we're going to have to get off this island pretty quickly because we're meeting up for lunch next week, aren't we, with our our respective wives, uh, Gainer and Elaine. So um, we better get cracking. Yes. <laughs> okay, Mark. Uh, just before you go, Tom, if somebody wants to follow your, your articles on... Uh, property with Landlord Zone, where do they go? Yes, landlordzone.co.uk is the website they need to go to. Thanks, Tom. And we'll put that in the show notes too. Very good. Thank you, Mark. Cheers now. Bye. Well, that's all for this episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. Please remember the content is for information only and it is not financial advice. If you would like to pop a question into a bottle for Mark, just post your question in the comments and hopefully it'll reach the island in time for the next episode. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.